I'm going to invite you, if you have a Bible, to kind of do a double finger thing for a second. If you can turn to 2 Timothy 3, we'll be there for just a little bit, and then also the book of Proverbs. So if you want to turn, Timothy, where I need you to turn, if you want to use the Bible in front of you, is on page 996. Actually, I may have written that down. It may be 966. It's near the end of the Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and then also we'll look, we'll start in Proverbs chapter 22, which will be on page 544. Now, to, to back up, in Matthew 6, which we started looking at in this series, at the beginning of this series, we learned that Jesus kind of told us one of the desires, one of the things he wants for us is that we would have good, generous eyes that we would live our lives, that followers of Jesus would live their lives serving God, not serving money. Now, let me just say this. It is great to know the what of life. Like, that's what God wants for us. But how do we get there? I mean, how do you and I get to the place where we have good, generous eyes, where our lives are about serving God, not about serving money? How, how does that work? Well, today is actually part two of the message we started last week. And we said last week related to kind of that how question, how do we get there? How does that take place in our lives? Is that we need wisdom. That, that God, through his word, imparts to us wisdom. Now, here's the thing. When the Bible talks about wisdom, it's not talking about, hey, I know more information. I have things in my head. No, when the Bible talks about wisdom, it's talking about truly being skilled at life. And I pray what we saw last week in looking at four principles that God offers us through Proverbs is that we'd see, you know what? God wants to equip us for life. He wants us to have skills in the money part of life so that we live wisely. Now, I want to hit the pause button here for a second, which is why I wanted you in 2 Timothy 3, because I want us to step back from just thinking about God equipping us and dealing with money to help us see a bigger sort of theme that that is involved with. And here's the bigger theme. God wants you and me to be equipped for all of life. God wants us to be equipped for everything in life. You say, where are you getting that from? Well, read with me 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and verse 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? Notice this, that the man of God or the messenger of God, the follower of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul was telling Timothy that God uses his word to do a work in our lives so that we're equipped, so that we can handle things in life. Now, that's not all by itself individually separated. There's actually a connection to that I want us to see. So I'm going to ask you to back up one more verse with me to verse 15 to make sure we see the big idea totally of this equipping. So verse 15 says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The equipping work God wants to do in our lives, the way he wants to use his word in our lives, starts with what Paul called the sacred writings. Okay, that's the scriptures telling us, in essence, the equipping starts by showing us we need Jesus to make us wise to salvation. Realize we need Jesus in our lives. 
hugely, desperately. We can't function in that sense without him. So the scriptures point us there, tell us we need Jesus. And so when you and I trust Jesus, we go from a place of being stubborn and resistant, and we say, no, I want to repent of my sin, and I trust Jesus alone as my Savior. In that moment, God then takes that equipping, not just to get us to Jesus, but then goes to work in us to give us the skills to handle all we will face in life. Here's the truth. God wants us to have the skills we need. That's a theme of Scripture. We're looking at right now, really talking about money stuff, but I want us to understand it's way bigger than that. God wants us to be equipped for everything in life. Hit the pause button again. Let's jump back in and let's talk about it related to the money side of things. How do we, how do we get good, generous eyes? How do we live life serving God, not serving money? How do we do that? Well, last week we looked at four principles from Proverbs. And I said we were going to look today at four more. So that's what we want to do. We had four. Now we want to look at four more principles, sort of four more gifts of wisdom from God that we need to embrace because God's offering us the skills we need to make sure we live in the money part of our lives in a way with skill and not in some goofy, messed up way. So what are those principles? Well, we've had four. So what's principle number five? Well, principle number five would be this. Be exceptionally careful about debt. If you and I are going to move in the direction of having good, generous eyes, we need to be extremely careful about debt. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm going to guess many people in this room, many people online probably too, have learned a hard lesson. And that is this. Debt is about as easy to get into as it is to slide down an ice-covered mountain. But it's as hard to get out of debt as it is to climb up an ice-covered mountain. I don't know how, how many of you have been on an ice-covered mountain? It's really easy to go down. It's a whole other thing to go back up. It, 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 it's just really hard. Now, to be clear, debt is not a sin, but it is a danger. And I should have told you to turn now back to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7 says this. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Now, now the point of the proverb is really fairly simple. Debt creates a slave relationship. I mean, when you borrow money, you are then under an obligation to the master, the one you borrowed the money from. And that relationship complicates life. Okay, now again, debt is not a sin. But if you have debt, it will complicate your life in terms of a whole lot of things, including generosity. I mean, if you have debt, you have to repay that, then all of a sudden that puts some limits and boundaries and challenges in terms of how you can be generous because it's not as free, it's more limited. Which means if you and I are going to move toward good, generous eyes, we need to kind of understand that debt is going to make that more challenging. Debt is going to make that harder for us to move in the direction Jesus really wants us to move in. Now, let me say this. In an ideal world, there would be no debt. I don't know everything about the new heavens and the new earth. 
I feel like I'm going to go out there on the ledge just a little bit, but I'm reasonably confident that there will be no debt in the new heavens and the new earth. You will have no mortgage payment. You will have no car payment. You will have no... I don't think there will be credit cards in eternity. I don't think. Because they seem so cursed on earth. I don't think they're going to... We're not going to have that. But here's the truth. The Bible was written to sinful people living in a sinful world. And because of that, the Bible does seem to make provision for the issue or the thing of debt. I mean, you can read parts of Exodus 21. That would be an example of the Bible providing some direction regarding issues of debt. Debt happens. So really the issue becomes, how do we be careful about the debt that maybe can come into our lives so that we can still move towards generosity? Okay, how do we do that? Well, let me make four suggestions to you that hopefully will move us. We realize debt complicates life. How do we do this so we move forward? Well, let me suggest. If you are in debt, get out of debt as fast as you can. When debt comes into your life, get out of it as fast as you can. If you turn and look at Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 to 5, we're going to be in Proverbs 6 in just a moment to read some other verses, but verses 1 to 5, that's basically their message. Get out of debt. If you've got it, get out of it. I think another thing to help us move towards generous eyes when debt can be a part of our life is before you go into the debt, be very clear why you're taking on the debt. Question form, are you taking on debt to meet a need or to fulfill a want? Somebody came in this last week for the fellowship fund and, and was sharing with me how they kind of got themselves, they, they literally had just accepted a job. They were driving home, and when they were driving home, the job was here in Sioux City, and they live outside of Sioux City. While they were driving, their car caught on fire. That was in September. They didn't have. The, they needed the job to earn money. Well, they didn't. Now all of a sudden, they didn't have money for a car because their car was now an ash heap. I get it. We probably need cars. We live in a part of the world where we need a car. So going into debt sometimes to get a car may be something we need to do. But let me ask you this. If a Toyota Corolla is what you can afford, do you really need to buy a Tesla? Now, if you own a Tesla, I am not trying to slam you at all. I just, I don't think I'd seen a Tesla in the church parking lot. So I thought that was a safe model to pick on. Without me getting in trouble. You'll notice I didn't say anything about a Nissan Altima or a Subaru Outback. Okay? That's an issue with that. Are you fulfilling a want? Or are you meeting a need? Third, we probably need to consider how other things around the debt might add to slavery. You know, if you are borrowing money to something that is a depreciating asset, you realize that's going to complicate things. If you are borrowing money, going into debt because you want to finance a lifestyle that's beyond, you know, you want a lifestyle at this level, but really this is your income level. If you're doing that, realize you're adding slavery to your life. 
And you're doing it in a way that's going to mess up all kinds of things. See, folks, if you and I take on debt, it's going to complicate it. If we want to move to good, generous eyes, we can't, we need to be very careful about taking on debt. We need to say, if I'm taking on debt and it's reducing my giving, then that's probably debt I should not go into. Fourth, we need to be asking our souls the question, is taking on this debt about getting around somehow trusting God? Am I going to take on this debt so that I don't have to trust God with an issue? That's dangerous. Okay? We got four principles last week. First principle this week, be extremely careful about debt. For to move to good and dangerous eyes, principle number six is we need to save for the future. We need to save for the future. Now, there, there's an old saying that bubbles up in my head often, probably once you hear the words, you might know why. But the old statement is this. Learn from the mistakes of others. You don't have time to make them all yourself. Now, the point of the saying in one sense is one way to gain wisdom, to kind of figure things out, is to observe, is to, is to watch, to kind of learn something from other places. Now, sometimes that's, you learn from a negative example. Sometimes you learn from a positive example. There's actually biblical warrant for observing and gaining something. Okay, look at Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. They read this way. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having chief or chief, any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. God wants us to know that you and I can gain an enormous amount of wisdom, skill in life, from ants. See, ants know that the season for collecting food is actually very brief. The, the harvest season in ancient Israel, when this proverb was written, was probably somewhere in the length of two to three months. That meant the ant knew that's the time frame it had to collect food, which meant it had to cover a gap of nine to ten months. Well, how do you cover the gap? Well, the ant knew the way you cover the gap is by saving for the future. It was, I need to get some stuff. I need to put stuff aside for the future. Now, technically, if you're into studying ants, and there's a fancy word for that that escapes me, and I probably couldn't pronounce it even if I could remember the word, Ants do have some sort of organizational structure. So some people have said, oh, well, verse 7 is not true, so then this proverb's not true, and all those things. Time out a second. The proverb is not trying to express everything in technical, precise, scientific data. The proverb is really trying to express that the ant was not dependent on an external boss forcing the ant to go to work. You know, cracking the whip every day, you've got to be there. No more the point of the proverb is the ant knew, I need to go to work. I need to save. I need to know it's harvest season. I have got to go and save. That's really the point of the proverb. You know, generosity, if we're going to have generosity over the long haul of our lives, that requires us having resources for the long haul of our lives, which means we need to save for the future. Okay, that's probably not rocket science. None of you are going like, wow, no one's ever told me that before. 
But let's think about something for a second. There may be some rub points when it comes to saving. Debt is dangerous for our souls. Saving in a subtle way might also be dangerous for our souls. It's like, what are you talking about? Just hang in there with me. Saving is wiser than debt. It seems wiser, and it is. Okay, it's wiser to save than it is to go in debt, in a sense. But there is a rub point or a tension point when it comes to saving, and here's the tension. What is the motive behind your savings? What is motivating you to save? It's very possible to be motivated to save by greed. You know, in essence, I just got to have more. That can be our motive for saving, and it's all about us and us having more. We can also be motivated to save simply because we're a miser. That's a fairly negative term. Some of you would say, oh, I'm just thrifty. Someone else near you might say, no, you're cheap. You, 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 you are saving because you are not buying things you probably should buy, things you need, but you're not doing it. Or it's not impossible that some people save because they don't give. They're just not going to be generous in any way, shape, or form. And so they're saving. You say, well, how wise they are. They're saving. But there's no giving. There's no generosity. That's a problem. Some of us may battle things like anxiety and fear. And that can lead us to save because we're anxious and overwhelmed by the future. Sometimes we can save, quite honestly, because we are trying to insulate ourselves from needing to trust God to provide. So we think it's all on us. That's an issue. Another question to ask about saving is, am I saving because, hey, I'm observing the ant, I'm learning from the ant, and I'm seeking to be obedient to God? He's saying, learn from that. Is that what's motivating me to give? The act of saving is wise if the motivation for the saving really is honoring to God. It really is good. So let me ask you, why are you saving? Four principles last week, four this week. So extremely careful with debt. Prioritize or save for the future. And then principle number seven would be this, prioritize giving prioritize giving. Developing good, generous eyes is going to involve giving. If you want to turn over, in my Bible, it's one page to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 read this way. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, I do want to talk about verses 9 and 10, but I think if we're going to understand verse 9 especially and kind of how that leads us into verse 10, I think we need to unpack something first. So I want you to kind of look maybe up the column in your Bible just a little bit to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, and then verse 7. So verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes, 
fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now, to go back to the beginning of the message, what we said in, related to 2 Timothy 3 is that skilled living starts with being reconciled to God. Okay, we were not going to be skilled at life unless we are reconciled to the creator of life, the one who loves us, the one who is the Savior. Okay, we need that. Now, in the book of Proverbs, the way it would be expressed that someone is trusting God and God's promised Savior is usually found in words like trust and fear. Now, verse 5 talks about trust, verse 7 talks about fear. Please understand, though, both of those are internal attitudes. Those are things that are true about us or in us. But how do you express those? Well, verse 9 is really an expression. This honoring God with my wealth is an expression of my faith and trust in God. See, if I'm trusting and fearing the Lord above all else, then I'm going to honor him with my wealth. Now, to be technically precise here, the wealth that we would honor God with is the wealth God's provided. We, we saw that a few weeks ago, Second, or First Chronicles 29. He puts it in our hands. So in essence, he puts us in our hands, and then we honor him with it. We return it to him, so to speak. Well, how do we express that honor? How do we express what verse 9 is saying in terms of honor God with the first fruits? Well, verse 9 obviously was written in an agricultural kind of economy, kind of a concept. And the idea would be that first fruits is always the first fruit that came out of the, off the tree or the first of the herd, the, the first new calf born of the herd. The idea of first fruits also means it's the best. There's a reason why. Well, it's the reason why, you know, extra pure virgin oil, you know, olive oil, it's the first, it's the best. We pay more for that because it's the best. We do that. Well, to connect this really to generosity, good, generous eyes are eyes that say, you know what, I'm going to prioritize giving. That's going to be first in my life. Well, very few of us probably directly earn our income from a farm. So, like, you know, how do you bring that first chicken? You know, are we going to, like, how do, how do we do this? Well, we need to think about that. Now, I do want to talk about that. I'm not trying to shy away from giving. In fact, I'll tell you next week, that's all we're going to talk about is giving. So come early, sit in the front row, we're going to talk about it. But real quick, I want to talk about verse 10 just for a moment, and then we'll try to apply verse 9. Okay? Verse 10 is telling us that God blesses worshipers that give. I mean, that's kind of the message of the verse. Now, scholars will tell us that the implied message then in verse 10 is that God gives more blesses us more because the giver has displayed a trustworthiness with what God has given. So God is, in that sense, you could say God is, put it in our terms, God is confident if you put more in your hands, you'll use that well. You'll use that in good ways as well. That's what we're kind of talking about. So when we talk about applying verse 9, what we're talking about is how do we handle the blessings God's put in our life 
in a way that shows we're trustworthy so that God then might put more in our hands because we're also going to be trustworthy with that. That we'd handle the blessing God gives. Well, since we're going to talk about giving all next week, let me just make two application steps, two things I think that help us with this honor God with the first fruits. What does that look like? First, I think would be this. Commit to give before the money actually comes. Now, please do not misunderstand me. I am not saying write a check before you have money in your account. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? Bouncing checks is not a good idea. What I am saying is have a plan, which means you, in essence, have a plan in place so that when your paycheck is deposited, I'm old, I still write checks, okay? The first check you write when that money is deposited is your giving check or the first ACH transaction you have scheduled is your giving. Folks, if you have a regular income with, you know, each paycheck, you know, each paycheck I get this, whether, you know, whether you're paid weekly, monthly, bi-monthly, however you're paid. If you have a regular thing and you know it, one way to, in the 21st century, express this first fruit might be, I know I get paid the fifth of the month and I know it's this amount. I have coveted with God that I'm going to give this amount. So the check goes in on the fifth, on the sixth, it goes out to my giving right away. Boom. First fruits. Second application, it's I plan the giving in advance, but also give off of any income. Okay, you know, if you get a bonus, or since we're kind of starting into tax season, maybe you're going to give off of an income tax return. You're going to give those as well. That's a part of applying that. I'm going to prioritize giving because I'm going to move in the direction of good, generous eyes. I don't prioritize me. I prioritize giving. Okay, four principles last week, four this week. Okay, careful with debt, exceptionally careful with debt, save for the future, prioritize giving. And then the fourth or eighth principle really would be to know that generosity brings blessing. Generosity brings blessing. I'm going to flip to Proverbs 11 with me. In some ways, what we talk about is somewhat similar. Now, this, this principle is somewhat similar to Proverbs 3.10, but here's the deal. In the book of Proverbs, this principle, this idea, seems to keep coming up. It gets repeated, and so it's like, well, maybe we should be attentive. Now, here's the thing. God's economy operates the way God says it should operate. He operates his economy differently than our economy. That can be a challenge for us. See, you and I could think, hey, if I give my time or I give my money or if I give my skills, that's like an expense. It, it's taken out of my pocket and I don't get it back. Well, there is, you know, see, you could say, hey, if I give, if we give our time or our skills or our money here at church, then I can't use it for something else. It's no longer in my pocket. I've passed it on. Well, there is a partial truth to that, Yes. But remember, we said God's economy operates differently than ours, so that's not how it totally works in God's economy. Look at Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25. It says, one who gives freely, so it's coming out. Well, what does that lead to? Look at what it leads to. Yet grows all the richer. Another withholds, 
that he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. In God's economy, our generosity, us being generous, is connected. Our part is us giving or us being generous. That connects with us being blessed by God. See, our part is generosity. God's part is blessing. Now, that might, okay, that might lead to financial blessing. That might. I don't think that's all it ever does. Carrie and I had an instance very early in our marriage where we made a giving thing. We were trying to be generous, and there was some blessing, okay? But I think the principle is way, way bigger than that. It's not just about money. It's really, it's about blessing. See, if we're generous with our time, with our talents, with our treasure, and we see the blessing of that, okay, we, we see there's blessing that flows through that, maybe into another person's life. I think these verses are pointing to that kind of a blessing. We're just seeing blessing grow and grow and grow. We get refreshed, we're enriched, so we can bless more, and we keep doing this. Now, I am always hesitant to wade into anything that's political for all kinds of reasons because I'm not a political scientist. But I've heard people say, use the political rhetoric, that our country is a dumpster fire right now. Now, I'm not of the skill set to say, yes, we are, no, we aren't. I, I wouldn't disagree that things are not exactly great. And you kind of scratch your head, well, is there anything we can do that could make it better than it is? And I should have had in my notes, pray, that would be a good thing. But is there something from these two verses in terms of generosity brings blessing that may have some bearing here? See, what could we offer to our community? See, I'm wondering... If a whole lot of us, in essence, we as a church army, so to speak, are generous, and that leads to blessing, because that's how it works. We, we're generous, and God leads to blessing. So that's enriching, and that leads to more blessing. If blessing kind of begins to spread, would that change and impact things around us? Would that change and impact how things happen? See, if we can be a blessing, and in God's economy, that blesses, does that serve to be things to be more generous? I mean, I have to wonder, how different would things be in our community? We can't, in essence, change the world overnight, but how much would things be different in our community if more and more people were coming up and saying, let's be generous instead of being selfish? And I'll be honest, that challenges me. Am I really approaching my life in our community from generosity, realizing what needs is God's blessing more than selfishness? Enough of that. I can get myself in trouble if it's political. Doing this series, these last two weeks, looking at 
Proverbs has made me think a lot about my dad and my mom. Partly because the whole book of Proverbs, if you look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, the whole book is kind of crafted for a son to receive instruction, to receive wisdom from his father and his mother. In July 2011, we were in Calgary, and my mom said, your dad wants to talk to you tonight. Now, when I was a little kid and I heard that, I thought, I'm in trouble. To be honest, I'm thinking, okay, what have I done? Because we're leaving the next morning to come home here to Sioux City. Well, the reason we sat down is my dad wanted to talk to me and Carrie about the family estate. And he shared some things. And then he asked me the question, do you know why I'm giving you money? To which I responded with a smile, because you like me? Uh, my, my dad rarely indulged my goofy responses. And me trying to avoid what was a fairly serious conversation, he looked at me as my wife and my children could tell you my father would, and with a somber tone said, so you will give. My dad was instructing me to be generous. Well, talking about giving and generosity kinds of things, Paul shared an incredible gospel truth in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. We read this verse earlier in the series, and next week we'll very much be in 2 Corinthians 8 and look at it again. But the verse reads this way. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus died in our place for our sins in part so that we might become rich. They need to ask the question, why did he want us to become rich? Well, part of the answer very much is he wants us to be reconciled to him. By definition, that's being rich. Reconciled to Jesus makes you rich. But I said, Paul wrote that in the context of talking about generosity. So there is a generosity component to why Jesus wants us to be rich. But if you continue to read in 2 Corinthians, you come to verse, nine, verse 11 of chapter 9, and it says this, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. You'll be enriched, so you'll be generous, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Jesus wants us to be generous. My dad was pointing me toward what Jesus wants to be true in our lives. Jesus wants you and me as his people to be generous. Which means if you wanted to boil down this series on the biblical sense of money to four words, because we had four principles last week and four principles this week, so let me give you four words. You may not remember the eight principles, but I think you can remember the four words. Trust Christ. Be generous. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful to you for your word. I'm grateful that you want to equip us in our lives. We need to be equipped. Lord, we need to be reconciled to you, and I thank you. 
but because of what Jesus did on the cross. We can be reconciled to you. We can know you. And in entering into that reconciled relationship, you begin to do a work in us for our good and for your glory that is rich and sweet and amazing. Lord, I would pray and ask you would continue to equip us, continue to give us wisdom from your word so that we would be skilled in life. Father, please move us to trust Christ and to be generous. Please let us serve you and have good and generous lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray.